Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast for two holistic-minded moms with a passion for real food and raising healthy, empowered children. We want to provide a safe and educational, judgment-free zone for supporting women as they journey into motherhood and discover the mom they were meant to be. I'm Marissa of Confidently Balanced. I'm a former speech-language pathologist turned nutritional therapy practitioner and have a passion for all things health, wellness, and mindset. I'm also a mama to a little guy with a big personality. And I'm Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner student. I have a degree in Thai massage and a master's in business analytics. I'm a mama to a little one and have another one on the way. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical concern. Hello. Hi, friend. How's it going? Pretty well, actually. So-so. I feel a little sick today, but you know, we're powering through. (laughs) Well, I'm actually recording at the office today because of our uh, rescheduling. So I'm hoping the sound's not any any, uh, different than normal because I'm in a larger conference room. But (laughs) Sounds good on my end. You look so professional (laughs) as I sit here in my robe. Yeah, usually we're in our comfies when we're recording. (laughs) This is a change of scene. (laughs) So today we're kind of talking foundations around food. Um, We thought about starting an icebreaker question. What did you have for dinner last night? We talked about this and I had to really struggle to remember (laughs) what I ate last night, which is terrible. But we had salmon and peas, and um, some white potatoes, just roasted white potatoes. Pretty basic, but it hit the spot. (laughs) And does your son pretty much eat what you guys eat? Yeah, we've been pretty lucky. He always has, with the exception of some spicier stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? (laughs) So we had stuffed sweet potatoes, and um, it was really good. It was from Cassie's... uh, cook once eat all week book but it was like sweet potatoes with pulled pork corn red peppers lime so it was kind of like a southwest potato it was so good but now we have a ton of pulled pork for the week and that was leftovers but yeah it was really good Connor did not try that (laughs) but I made I made some squash stuffed with beef the other night uh, we had a lot of starchy vegetables stuffed with meat this week. <laughs> Sounds good. His, this and he just loved that. So he's still on those leftovers. Oh, that's and nice. I just really, I love, I love that kind of stuff. The, the squash was super fally, like the uh, pumpkin spices and the beef. So yeah, I know it's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, we just wanted to give some background around how we think about food in terms of nutritional quality to give a background for how we approach feeding our kids, feeding our families. And I think some of the feedback I got from talking to people about this podcast was we were, I talk about things in terms of, oh, I'm posting a grain-free recipe or Um, talking about chips that are fried in a certain kind of oil that I prefer and not really giving this background of, well, why, 
why do we not want to eat grains or why might I want to look at using a different oil? And I think some of this comes from the information that's publicly available is mostly from marketing and it's not always that great. Um, There's a big push for making cheaper and cheaper foods and it's not always the highest quality. So what's important to look for and what, what isn't, I guess. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of what we think of as healthy and a lot of, I mean, me personally working with clients, what they're telling me they eat and they're, they're saying, Oh, it's low fat. It's healthy. And I mean, yes and no, but everything we've been told is kind of, I don't want to say inaccurate, but kind of (laughs) our our bodies aren't made to do that. (laughs) So we just thought it was important to, like you said, just explain this and dive a little bit deeper into it without totally overwhelming everybody. (laughs) Yeah. I do think there's some common ground, like vegetables. Those are good. (laughs) But yeah, like when you get into some of the stuff around whole grains and fats, like we're not always getting the best information from whatever the government's putting out or again, a lot of marketing. So Yeah. yeah, which is unfortunate because, you know, we're in this position right now where we're sicker than ever and something has to change you know? Yeah. So here yeah. we are. <laughs> so we also wanted to go through some of the diets that we talk about, because we might mention them casually in terms of, oh, paleo or keto or Whole30. I think we talked about all of those things in our intro episode and didn't really explain what they are. And that might be something that we're familiar with in this food community, but not everybody is aware of what, what those things mean. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's more for a jumping off point. We're not endorsing one type of eating over the other. We're not trying to put ourselves or anybody else in a box. So it's just an explanation and a reference point. Yep. Exactly. Out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's, yeah, there's seasons of my life where I'm more likely to stick to a strict diet, but it's something that now that I've really changed how I eat as more of a lifestyle, I don't need that crutch anymore, I guess. Like I'm, I kind of know how I need to eat to feel good. So yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of this whole thing is the learning process. And you do find out very quickly what works for you and what doesn't when you start to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just thinking about things as a diet has its own concerns because I think at least how I grew up, you were on your diet or you were off your diet and that's what you hear from people. And when you're on a diet, I think you have a tendency to, oh, this is a cheat day. And then you kind of go crazy. Like you go to a party, diet doesn't count today and you're having you feel deprived from your diet. So you're going way overboard and having 5,000 calories in a day. Um, And this is something I see frequently from friends who do Weight Watchers or those kind of things where once they're off their diet, it's, oh, well, anything goes. And it's when you really are thinking about it in terms of what am I putting into my body? Is this going to help me function at my best? Yeah, maybe I can have one gluten-free cookie, but I'm not going to have eight just because I'm allowed to. (laughs) It's, it's not going to serve me. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a mindset shift. It truly is. 
And it took, it took a while. I will say that it's not an overnight thing where you just have a different relationship with food, but I'm really, really thankful that I have that now and that I care about my body. So, yeah, absolutely. That's, I'm sure you feel the same, something I hope to pass on to my son, just through my words and my actions and my behaviors. So work in progress always, but yeah. And it is something we see more often with women, like the, I shouldn't be eating this while they're taking a bite of something. And um, yeah, just this negative relationship with food, which, you know, I think it's best to just own your choices, but yeah, I agree. Eat the cookie, move on. You know, there is no wagon <laughs> life. <laughs> the world keeps spinning is what I tell my clients. So you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I did that this weekend. I, we don't normally have cookies around the house, but I decided to whip up some oatmeal raisin and save some cookie dough and that jar. It was a small jar, but that jar was gone in a couple of days. <laughs> I'm impressed it lasted a couple of days. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have had that kind of willpower. <laughs> well, and my husband wanted the cookies and I'm like, yeah, I'd prefer to consume mine as dough. <laughs> Same. Always yeah. dough. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my gosh, this is an aside, but we got into this debate as I was baking. Like licking the, the bowl that's an important process in the cookie making, like an important part in the cookie making process, right? Arguably the most important part. <laughs> <laughs> so like I will bake and my husband won't lick the bowl. And I'm just like, that's insane. This is like the best part. <laughs> what kind of a monster are you married to? <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a big debate we have, like Connor's licking one of the beaters and... Oh, no. um, I'm just like, no, that's crazy. Like, I feel unappreciated as a cook if you will not lick the bowl. That's 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 food abuse or something. (laughs) (laughs) All right, glad glad we're on the same page. We can be friends. Checking him a little bit. Right. So, okay. So, do you want to start with fat, or how do you want to? Well, yeah, I think just talking about the different macronutrients. So there's macronutrients and micronutrients. The macronutrients are fats, carbs, and proteins. So fats have nine calories per gram of fat and carbohydrate and protein have four calories per gram. So if you're reading a label, you know that the fat is contributing the grams of fat are contributing more to the calories than the carbohydrate and the protein. And anything we eat falls into one of those three. So that's something I hear a lot when I would go paleo, people would say, oh, you don't eat carbs. And I said, oh, I eat a lot of carbs. And they're like, oh, I thought you didn't have grains. And I said, yeah, I don't really eat grains. And there is a difference because you could eat a very high carbohydrate diet without eating grains because vegetables are carbohydrates, fruits, um, starchy vegetables like potatoes have a lot of carbohydrates. So, so just know that everything falls into one of those three categories. So I'm like, well, they're like, Oh, the sweet potato is a carb. And it's like, well, it's not fat or protein. So (laughs) that's what, what it leaves. And then 
I asked you about this and I don't think you do anything like this, but when I look at a food label, I, so I think the zone diet, things like that, they do 40, 40, 30 in terms of macronutrients where 40% are carbohydrates, 40% are fats and 30% are proteins. I think I have that right, but it's kind of this, um, shifting away from a traditional American diet where a lot more of the calories are from carbohydrates. So diets like that are trying to shift you away from eating a ton of carbohydrate. So, um, so it's keeping that kind of thing in mind where you're trying to keep the macronutrients more in balance when I go for a snack or something that I'm going to eat that has a food label on it. And I want to know what is this going to do to my body in terms of macronutrients? I kind of do some quick math on those grams listed on there. So I double the fat and then I add the protein to the fat and then I compare that to the number of carbohydrates. So I hope that makes sense to people. But if you had like five grams of each, five grams of fats, carbohydrate and protein, I'm going to double the fat to 10, add the protein, which is five. So I have 15 fat and protein and then five of carbohydrates. So that's relatively low carb. So I'm usually looking for it to be under half from carbohydrates just for what it does to your blood sugar. So we're going to go more into blood sugar, but that's just kind of a little thing I do to just know that there's not too much sugar in something. Um, do you have anything like that? Or how do you, how do you look at macros when you Honestly, get a packaged food? I don't really pay attention to macros. Okay. Yeah. That's, oh, you don't? No, no, I really don't. I, I'm not, not like that. I, I, <laughs> I don't really have a system. Um, okay. I more look at the ingredients and I look at the sugar yeah. content and if it's, you know, something that is not just like a lar bar, you know, I don't love those, but we have them sometimes. If it's not something that's just straight fruit, I usually, if the sugar's high, I don't really get it. I don't really have a system though. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because something like kombucha, if you look at the number, maybe there's 14 grams of carbs or something close to that. And that doesn't sound like a high number, but when there's zero fat and protein, it's something that if you have it alone, it will spike your blood sugar. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's just something I do, but I did, I have done like a low carb diet before. So maybe that's just something that stuck around, but, and I've also had blood sugar issues in my past. So, so personally, that's something I do. And if it's helpful, I think it's a good rule of thumb if you're trying to avoid excess carbohydrates. So something like a sandwich or a yogurt where you think you might have a good balance of the macronutrients and then you look at it and you're like, oh, actually 75% of the calories are from sugar. It, you might want to look at a different yogurt. So, you know, uh, that's, that's good. That really is. I should probably pay attention a little more just for my <laughs> own curiosity, just the inner nerd in me. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, I try to teach my husband that too, because he likes some of the sweet and stuff. And it's like, like this is, this is the portion of calories coming from carbohydrate. But, right. Yeah. Um, 
And then, so then there's the micronutrients, which are vitamins and minerals. And so it's at a lower level than what is the macronutrient. It's your carbohydrates have certain vitamins and certain mineral contents in them. So um, that's when, if we talk about nutrient density, a lot of times, or we're usually talking about the micronutrients. So for the same number of calories, you could get something that has a lot more, I don't know how to compare it like total vitamins, but we just kind of say nutrient density, which means overall it has a higher content of nutrients of, of these micronutrients. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're eating a variety of fruits, vegetables, proteins, you know, you know, food that's not overly processed, you're probably going to be in a, in the ballpark of what your body needs to, to function optimally. Yeah. And I think what are those websites? Is it like my fitness pal or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some of those? So I think you can put in a day's worth of food and compare the total content of the micronutrients. So for the same, there's been people who did this. So you could Google it like a paleo version of a diet at 2000 calories versus a standard American diet where it's a lot of grains at 2000 calories. So for the same number of calories, what does it look like? Like maybe they both have plenty of vitamin C, but one doesn't have any vitamin A or, you know, there's just different nutrient content. And I think what we generally find is things like grains don't have a high nutrient density. Yeah. Yeah. They're bulky. They take up a lot of space in you, but there's not a lot of nutrients happening. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess maybe we can just jump into grains really quick. Yeah. Let's talk about that. That's great. All right. So not only, I think we've mentioned that there's not a lot of nutrients in grains in general. There's also anti-nutrients in grains. So the germ of a whole grain is something that actually takes vitamins out of your body. It binds to them and eliminates them. So that's why they started doing things like enriched flour, because it was actually the more and more flour people consumed in the 1900s, it became problematic for diseases like it would leach so many vitamins out of your body and have this net negative impact to the nutrients you had that they had to start adding vitamins so at least it didn't deplete you as much but I think it's just niacin and maybe one other b vitamin that they put into flour yeah um so it doesn't do I think there's very little nutrients in the grain itself. And I think it still does a net negative, even with those added nutrients, it's going to take nutrients away from your body rather than adding. Mm -hmm. So, so that's obviously concerning. And like you said, it takes up a lot of calories. So if you're having a sandwich, half the calories might be from the bread, depending on, the type of sandwich or, you know, size, but, um, so, and that's something when I'm feeding my son, 
And I really want to make sure he's getting plenty of nutrients and he doesn't necessarily eat that much. Uh, Sometimes he eats a lot, but sometimes he doesn't. And it's like, yeah, we don't have room for things like grains because I want to make sure everything I'm adding to his diet is adding to adding to the micronutrient value he's getting. Yeah. And along those lines, grains can be very, very irritating to the gut lining for a lot of people, myself included. I I learned the hard way, you know, that keep doing it, keep doing it. Oh yeah, this is bad. Um, And then when that happens, your body gets inflamed. It triggers the stress response. Um, I know kids probably won't be saying this, but you can feel bloated, constipated or the opposite. Um, Yeah. They can just they can, I mean, over repeated use, they can cause leaky gut and just all these inflammatory issues in your body. So. Yeah. Leaky gut is where part of the food particle actually penetrates through the intestine and it can lead to things like autoimmunity. Um, but in terms of the gut impacts that happens actually more with whole grains Mm -hmm. because germ of the grain is more irritating than the rest of the grain. Um, so there's kind of this competing thing where, oh, brown rice is healthier because it has protein and all these other things, but it might be more harmful if you're in this inflamed state. So just something else to pay attention to as you're eating these things. And then something else in regards to gut health is the balance of bacteria in your gut. So having an abundance of grains in your diet can lead to yeast overgrowth in your intestines. So you're in an ideal state, you have this balance of what we call probiotics. And then there's other bacteria and yeasts in your gut, but you want to have enough of this good, healthy bacteria to contribute to a lot of the functions it does in the body. But if you have an overgrowth of this yeast, which can happen frequently from over-consuming grains, you can end up with that being out of balance. And it's actually puts, puts the healthy bacteria at a place where it can't reproduce and can't thrive. So. Yeah. Candida is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> I dealt with that when I was a lot younger, like having to go through a Candida cleanse and it's not, it's not an easy thing. And they really had to do a lot of food shifting. Like you could have a food all day for 24 hours and then you couldn't have it again for four days. Um, so it was kind of just like trying to mix up what was feeding the different bacteria in your gut. So, yeah, I've only recently been digging more into that. I mean, I knew the basics of it, but a lot of people who are mold toxic actually have candida is a symptom of mold toxicity. So that's been an interesting, really? yeah, yeah. A couple of my friends keep, Candida keeps popping up and keeps popping up and they're very mold toxic. And I guess that's a symptom, which is okay. eye opening to me, but that's a side note. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so I think that kind of covers a lot of what we say about grains. When we get into blood sugar, something else that, In grain-free diets, you're using things like almond flour, coconut flour, in place of flour. Or if you're just gluten-free, a lot of times they use rice flour. 
which is still going to be mostly carbohydrate, but in a lot of grain-free, like a paleo cookie recipe. Instead of the flour being all carbohydrate, if you use something like an almond flour, there's fats, there's protein, and there's carbohydrates in it. So it, it does have more of that balance. So it's not just about avoiding the grains. It's getting something that has that balance of macronutrients. And it's also going to have more of a a micronutrient quality to it where almonds have calcium. And so you're getting these other things in the flour versus having something that's very nutrient poor. Mm -hmm. So, so it's not just about avoiding the grains. It's like, Oh, these, these replacements are, giving me more than the grain would give. So So along those lines, I thought maybe this would be a nice segue into blood sugar and carbohydrate. Um, We've kind of touched on this, but a lot of what we eat today are just convenience foods. We're reaching for something on the way out the door. We're slamming cereal because it's quick and convenient. And most of it is highly processed. Most of the time it's packaged and it's not food in its whole state. Um, And while things like cereal have vitamins, minerals added, usually they're really poor quality and expensive and our body doesn't really absorb and assimilate them properly. So you're just, and this is what I say about um, most drugstore vitamins, you're just paying for expensive pee, which is a sad reality. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, when we eat things like bread and pasta and these quick carbohydrate it's like a dopamine hit to our brain. Um, we think we want more of it and we keep reaching for it because we get that little burst of energy. We get that feel good high and yeah, that quick hit. And then this is kind of what we call the blood sugar roller coaster. You get the high, you might get really lethargic or moody or brain foggy, and then you're reaching for something easy again. So you're back up on this high, up, down, up, down all day long. So it's, um, it's, it's the number one thing I would say that I work with people on my clients on when it comes to their health is just balancing the blood sugar. Okay. But, um, yeah, so I thought I'd go into it just as simplistically as I can, because it can get kind of complex. So, um, I think I read this in practical paleo where when you eat carbohydrate or when you eat anything really, but especially a carbohydrate, your, your pancreas has to fire. All these things are firing, but you release insulin and insulin is like your mom. It's the cleaner upper. It wants you to pick up your room. So insulin is released into your body and it takes the nutrients from your, from your bloodstream and puts them into your cells. So you have energy so you can use them. So whenever you eat things like I'm using air quotes here, these bad carbs, the refined, overly processed carbohydrate, um, they make the biggest mess, so to speak, in your body. So insulin is trying to work as quickly and as efficiently as it can, but this huge mess takes a lot longer to clean up and to bring your blood sugar back down to normal. So insulin is continuously being pumped out, body's working overtime to just regulate you. And that's exhausting. (laughs) So Unfortunately, like we said a lot today, we're, we're continuously eating these carbs. They're readily available, all the things. So once insulin does its job, by the time it's done, you're probably ready to eat again, so to speak, in a, in a few hours because you get hungry faster whenever you're just getting these quick bursts of energy. So mm-hmm. insulin, that's how someone becomes insulin resistant, right? It's constantly in your bloodstream. 
constantly trying to put things into cells and eventually your cells are just like, nope, (laughs) it just doesn't recognize the signals anymore. And that's how type two diabetes can start. You're, you just have this overabundance of insulin in your bloodstream and your body isn't getting the nutrients it needs because it's not getting put into the cells. If insulin is present, that it's the body's telling you energy is going into the cells. If you're trying to lose weight, you want to be burning the fat from your cells. So taking that fat out as energy, but in the presence of insulin, your body can't do that. Um, so if you are on this roller coaster where you're carbohydrates all day to, because you're getting these dips and you're trying to keep your blood sugar high all day, you're never reaching those fat stores and able to burn them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually what I was going to mention next. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there's this hormone called glucagon that's also released in your body. And it's the, it's the, um, how do I want to say the picker upper <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, and it can't work when insulin is dominant. Like you were just saying, it's just, they are, I can't think of the word one when one's working, the other one cannot, <laughs> there's a word for that. I cannot think of it, <laughs> but yeah, then you're not burning fat and you want to be burning fat for fuel. Um, what we learned in school, and I'm sure you learned this already too, is that carbs are, if you, if you think of a fire, you want to put logs on it and fat is the log. You want to be, you want to be releasing fat from your cells. You want to be burning that for fuel. You don't want these carbohydrates, which are like the kindling, these quick little bursts that'll, that'll do their job for a while and then kind of burn out. So, Mm -hmm. um, so along those lines, when your blood sugar is either too high or too low, it's a stress response in your body. It creates a stress response and cortisol is triggered and cortisol is great for the short term, right? Like ancestrally speaking, whenever you had to run away from a tiger, you needed that quick burst of energy and then you got to safety and your body could regulate and you're good. But today we live in a society where everything is a stress response. We're constantly stressed. We're running the kids all over. Our phones are dinging. We need email. We need to check our email. We're working, you know, all the things. So cortisol is pretty much always being pumped out as it is. And then when you add these um, carbohydrate rich diets and this overly processed foods into your body, it's just, it's, it's even more. And, um, that can affect your hormonal system. It could lead to infertility and low testosterone and thyroid issues and adrenal issues. So along those lines, um, you know, just another big reason why you want your blood sugar to be balanced, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. So then like we talked about already, whenever you're eating these refined foods, it, it can't, it blocks the absorption of other vitamins and minerals in your body. So once again, you're not, your cells, you're not, you're not, um, you're not fed. You're, you're on a cellular level. Your body's struggling. <laughs> the nutrients can't get absorbed. It's yeah. oftentimes pulling out nutrients from your body and that can really affect your immune system too. Um, yeah. Whenever there's nothing, there's nothing there to fight, <laughs> fight for you. So, um, some of the symptoms, at least from what I've experienced of a blood sugar dysregulation are brain fog, anxiety, a, a change in mood, headaches, inability to focus, loss of sex drive, rapid heartbeat. There's a lot, a lot of symptoms that I think a lot of us experience on a daily basis that we just, 
assume or are told are normal. And just because they're common does not mean they are normal. Mm -hmm. So getting off this blood sugar roller coaster is super, super important. And oftentimes it starts right at breakfast, right with your first meal. Instead of grabbing cereal, reach for something that has, like we talked about, a protein and a fat too, just to kind of stabilize your body, feed your cells, and um, just not start your day on a roller coaster, <laughs> basically. Um, and, you know, a lot of the low fat stuff that we were taught is unfortunately not true. Um, not the word I wanted to, yeah. not true. <laughs> and when, <laughs> when you're eating carbohydrate, a lot of times if, if you're pairing it with a protein or especially a fat, it can, it slow down, slows down the blood sugar response. Um, it, not to say if you're eating a donut and having an avocado, that's going to do it. But if it's something like a sweet potato or a whole for, whole food source of complex carbohydrate, then pairing it with a protein and a fat will help you. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are some of, I know you said you've had blood sugar issues. Are there, is there anything that you wanted to touch on with that, that you've experienced or have worked on? And so I had reactive hypoglycemia, which is kind of pre pre diabetes. Um, and that's where when you eat carbohydrate, your blood sugar spikes higher than it should. And then you produce a ton of insulin to get it down. And then your blood sugar actually dips really, really low to where you almost can't function. And then you need to eat pretty much to get it back up to normal. So that's the insulin resistance we're talking about, where as soon as you eat something, your body should start getting the insulin and be able to keep it pretty level. Um, and that it shouldn't get this huge spike from what you're eating. But I really was eating mostly carbohydrates and crappy food back then. But so that's something, yeah, like the insulin resistance, eventually it leads to the state where your blood sugar stays in this high state and you're diabetic. But wow. Um, so, yeah, that was something where I was constantly having to eat and your energy's low and then you can't sleep at night. And I was on the roller coaster for sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, it's quite um, a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Something else I wanted to touch on, you were talking about adding fat to carbohydrates because that can slow down the absorption into the bloodstream, like just how, how your insulin reacts to what you're taking in and how your blood sugar is impacted. There's also like fiber is something that like you could eat the same number of grams of broccoli versus a cookie, the same number of grams of carbohydrate. And it just takes a lot longer for your body to break down that broccoli and you're not going to get that blood sugar spike, even though you're getting the same amount of carbohydrate. Uh, so it takes longer for your body to break it down. So in that same respect, a liquid, like a smoothie, is going to hit your body a lot faster than a piece of fruit or something that it has to break down in the stomach and then get into the bloodstream. Like the, the liquid could go through you pretty quickly. So if you're doing things like juice or smoothies that are all sugar, it's going to hit your bloodstream pretty quickly. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I actually made a note about baby food pouches and how most of them are just fruit. And while your, your kid isn't eating a lot or they're extremely picky, you have to do what you have to do. Totally understand. But unfortunately, most of these pouches that have fruit don't have any fat in them at all. Yeah. And it's the same idea. You know, it's, it's, um, like the, the kids, the, you know, they eat cereal, they'll eat happy meals. And then I, I can see this in my son, the day that we went to a fair and he ate some French fries and a, like some fried dough, whatever that funnel cake, he ate a funnel cake. Okay. He had a meltdown and he does not usually do that. So it's just interesting to see the different ways of feeding your kid and kind of what it does to their bodies. I'm not saying go out and experiment on your child, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's, that's just kind of a little bit of background on why, why you might be seeing that in your kiddo and maybe hopefully some ways to help mitigate that. But yeah, but on that, it's like, if you can have them eat the fruit, it's going to be better from a blood sugar perspective than so like eating an apple versus having a pouch of applesauce that pouch of applesauce is going to have a lot bigger blood sugar impact than the the apple will totally yeah and if that's the only fruit they're eating we're not saying don't do that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so just something to be aware of yeah 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 so that's kind of the quick and dirty on blood sugar if there's anything else you'd like to add please do I tried to keep it (laughs) as understandable as possible (laughs) yeah well I think this is probably a good time to talk about fat. Yeah. Um, Cause we've mentioned that don't fear fat, but we've been, I think our generation, I'm 36. Uh, I think you're, we're pretty close to my age. You're 31. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 31. We're in the thirties. So, yeah. <laughs> Same general message around fat growing up, I oh think. Um, so it, it was interesting because when in the 80s, early 90s, when we were growing up, it was low fat, like all fat is bad. And everything on the shelf would be fat free. There'd be processed frozen meals or yogurts or everything had the fat removed. Then after that came the Mediterranean diet where it was like, okay, some fats are okay. And it's better to replace saturated fat with vegetable oils and, okay, maybe olive oil and avocados are okay, Um, but but stay away from saturated fat. So that's something we're still seeing. Like if you go down the dairy aisle, you're still seeing a lot of vegetable spreads, skim milk, uh, fat-free yogurt, fat-free sour cream, or all these things that just going back to, is this a whole food? Is this even a thing? Like just the way my mom will talk about skim milk. I'm like, Oh, that's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so, and that was really, I, I don't really want to get into this whole like conspiracy aspect of it, but it's just kind of from a, a statistician's perspective, it's kind of BS because Uh, we both had to go through this as a part of the program we're in, like actually go through the studies that made them come to this conclusion against saturated fat. And there's really nothing behind it. And it was taking people who were generally pretty healthy. They 
started introducing these replacements for real food fats in the form of seed oils, um, your canola oil, your sunflower oil, soybean oil, just whatever, whatever uh, substitutes they had. And people were starting to get these heart problems. So really it was to combat heart disease in men was how this recommendation was started. But it kind of just tumbled into this general recommendation for everybody when it really wasn't scientifically sound, even for the men in these studies. Um, do you want to add anything to that? I know. No, I mean, it was, the data was all cherry picked. It's very obvious whenever you do comb through it. There's a whole book I read on the, the big science. surprise. No, it was something about the food pyramid. I, I have to look that oh. up. We can add it to the show notes. It was very, very good. Um, and it just okay. went through all these studies and how just de- debunked them all. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll add that. It was it was a good read. So okay. Yeah. I read the Big Fat Surprise, which was a journalist. I don't think she had any agenda going into looking through these studies. Like she wasn't trying to disprove anything. It was just like, oh, there might be something here. And she did the same thing, like debunked it. Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't love reading it. It's <laughs> <but> dense. <laughs> it is dense. I'm not um, so it was like I was trying to take nice walks listening to that audiobook, and it was it was hard to get through. But <laughs> the information was wonderful. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's bad information, and there was huge profit incentives to recommend these cheaper oils because they're basically byproducts. If you're talking about corn oil and they call it vegetable oil, but it's, it's seed oil. It's the oils from a seed. So they can take a corn kernel and make part of it into flour for tortilla chips. And then they can take the oil and sell it to you as vegetable oil and they can break, break this apart and make a ton of money by selling it in these different pieces. And the oil was something that was kind of, waste before and now they're able to make money by selling it for us to cook our food in um so the conclusion i came to is don't fear saturated fat don't fear cholesterol um i I don't know if you've heard that analogy where so if you have heart disease cholesterol is something that your body sends to help reduce inflammation so the analogy is oh there's always firefighters around when there's a fire so firefighters must cause fires and it's the same kind of thing with cholesterol like just because it's found around the heart when you have heart disease doesn't mean it causes it but they kind of just jumped to that conclusion of well, this must cause this. And then eating cholesterol must cause high blood cholesterol, which is actually not proven either. (laughs) Um, So, and not, and I don't even necessarily think that blood cholesterol at the levels they're recommending is that concerning. Um, I think there is a concerning level of it, but it's, it's higher than they tell you. So, um, I guess that's a lot to say that I just think there's bad information out there and we shouldn't fear 
these foods that we were evolved to eat as humans. Humans were healthy on animal foods for tens of thousands of years. And now all of a sudden we're saying, oh, these foods are bad. But the more and more they recommend this and the more and more people are following them, people are getting sicker and sicker. There's, we haven't solved the health, the uh, heart disease problem and people are reducing red meat, reducing the fat in their milk and it's, it's not helping. So at what point do we start to look at that? Yeah. And I, I am seeing articles that are more mainstream that are questioning that hypothesis a little bit more, but I think yeah. it'll still take a while. Yeah. Just along the lines of what you were saying, most of the time, probably all the time, when you remove the fat from something like low fat yogurt or low fat milk, guess what they add? Sugar, sugar. some sort of, because fat is flavor and it's going to taste disgusting when you're just removing that without adding it in. And that hops you right back on the blood sugar roller coaster. And salt. Yeah, and salt. True. Yeah. Lots of... If if you're talking about a TV dinner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, really, fat adds a lot of good flavor to food. So if you take that out, they replace it, basically sugar and salt. (laughs) No one would eat it otherwise. (laughs) No. Nope. Even, yeah, you think about like a rice cake and that's supposed to be the healthy thing. There's a ton of added sugar to those and rice already has a ton of carbohydrate, but... Just like plain baked chicken breast? (laughs) No. 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 Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. A hundred percent. So then I wanted to talk about the, the cooking of these fats. So... And what heat does to fats. So there's polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, and then saturated fats. And how those got their names are based on the chemical bonds. And I won't get too much into the chemistry, but basically a saturated fat has all single bonds. So there's nothing else that can attach to that molecule easily without the molecule completely breaking apart. Whereas unsaturated fats have some double bonds where they could break the double bond and then basically attach to other molecules to change their shape without breaking apart. Um, So this is what they, when they say that fats are oxidized, they're actually attaching to this oxygen or hydrogen and changing changing the structure of the fat. So a polyunsaturated fat has multiple of these double bonds and a monounsaturated fat has one of them. So when you're cooking something, that's where this oxidation often happens, where you're creating this chemical reaction. Um, but it also can happen when an oil is heat processed to extract it. So there are certain fats where to get the oil out of the seed, they use heat to make it come apart easier to get the oil out of it. So that's where you'll see things like cold pressed on the label of things. So if you're looking for, or expeller pressed, that means they're not using heat to extract the oil from from the seed or whatever it is. So a lot of times you'll see cold pressed extra virgin olive oil. And that just means that without heating it up, 
they're pressing it and getting the oil out. So this heating can happen while they're processing it or when you're cooking with it. So if it's already heat processed before it even gets into your bottle at home, you could be having a fat that's already damaged or you very likely are with a lot of these vegetable oils where they commonly use heat processing to separate the oil. So basically these damaged fats are something that your body, well, it's what we refer to as trans fats and they can be very damaging to your body. And in fats, make up the structure of your cells in your body. So if you're taking in damaged fats and those are being used to create cells in your body, you have damaged cells, which could cause just a whole host of problems. Um, You don't know if you have enough damaged cells in certain tissues, you're likely going to get an issue with that tissue. That was weird. (laughs) Um, But... So then if you're talking about something that's cold pressed, like say my example of olive oil, where we think of that as a healthy fat, that's a monounsaturated fat where it can still break down and get oxidized if you heat it. So if you're making something like a stir fry where you're putting it under really high heat, you're likely damaging that fat. And then this is all to compare to saturated fats where you could basically, I'm not going to say unlimited, but you could apply quite a bit of heat and it's still going to maintain its structure and it's going to stay a saturated fat. So the unsaturated fats are going to turn to trans fats and the saturated fats will remain saturated fats. And it's something that your body recognizes and can use. So so that's where something like where trans fat started showing up on the labels, it'll be chips that were fried in sunflower oil. So they're going to have trans fats already in them because they were fried in something. So um, that's kind of the basics of using heat. So personally, olive oil, avocado oil, I think they're great fats they're going to best be used for like a salad dressing or something where you're not heating it up. I, I guess I will occasionally bake in olive oil, but not that often, but baking is at a lot lower temperature than frying something on the stove. Mm -hmm. So, but usually I will use saturated fats to cook and it's just because I don't want to have those trans fats in my body. It's not, it's not something that your body recognizes or knows how to use. So, and then on the same token, if I'm looking for processed foods, I'm going to look for something that doesn't have those fats on there. So canola oil, sunflower oil, um, can you name some more? (laughs) Cottonseed oil. Yeah. Um, oh God. corn oil. Yeah. Just any of the vegetable. There's a lot. Yeah. You're going to know if it's, if it's lard, that's animal fat. Um, and you're not going to find that very often, but the things that are, that you might find are things like coconut oil, which is a saturated fat, even though it's from a vegetable. Um, 
And there are brands of chips now that are fried in coconut oil or uh, palm oil. And palm oil is one that ideally you're getting from a sustainable source because of the environmental impacts, but that's, that's a different story. Uh, Palm oil is a saturated fat. So if you get things that are fried in those oils, they're going to maintain the integrity of the fat. So there are not many options, even just, I've been traveling a lot lately and looking at some of these like healthier packaged chips. I'm like, Oh, maybe this will be, something fried in a better oil and I turn it around and nope and I won't eat it <laughs> so um it's something you're seeing more but it's still not prevalent enough I would say yeah so I think Jackson's Honest is something that we eat a decent amount of I love those sweet potato chips um it's you know not necessarily a health food but if I just want a crunchy snack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's all fried in coconut oil. The Siete chips um, are fried in, I think, coconut oil. Yeah. There was uh, another brand that I found. I cannot remember the name of it, but it was just basically like a coconut chip, like a, a chip, but coconut, obviously cooked in coconut oil. Okay. It was delicious. It was very good and not sweet like that, but... Yeah, that was I think there's a brand. I don't, it's like Tara or something. It's the black bags. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's all of their chips, but I think some of them are fried in coconut oil. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to check that label. <laughs> yeah. So that's something. And then if you're talking about like a French fry at a restaurant, it's pretty much always going to be cooked in fats that are not only these fats that are very easily damaged. But they they use these oils for days and days without changing it out. So it's probably extremely damaged by the time your potato is entering this oil. Which is a sad <laughs> because, reality. <laughs> yeah. And that's where there are places, you know, it would have to be more of a conscious place, but like a duck fat fry where I will go to town on those. Oh, those are so good. Best yeah. French fries. Oh my gosh. Yep. So yeah, at, at most restaurants, I will not be touching French fries, but if I have the opportunity, I even got a deep fryer because I wanted to, like, I, I like fried food. We made some calamari and, but I just need to control the oil that it's fried in. And you just don't have that option in a restaurant. And but it takes so much oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, we were using palm shortening and it's not cheap, but these, these seed oils that the restaurants get are extremely cheap and they can use them over and over and over because they don't care about damaging it or the health effects. So uh, it's a lot cheaper to create that fried food where if you're maybe doing it in a proper way, it's, not as cheap, but yeah. And I think that's a good, a good point. And it's really important to mention. I think that's why a lot of people have a hard time switching over to more nutrient dense options or less inflammatory options because of the cost. And it can seem very overwhelming, especially when everything, you know, has been flipped around on its head. And 
I don't know. I've been, I had this conversation with my mom because she just says to me, can't you just let me not know things? But I can't, okay. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just baby steps, you know, like once you run out of something, maybe swap it for something else. And there is no perfection, you know, you're always going to have what fits your budget in your life, but it's just starting somewhere. And just even knowing this and knowing this is why you might be having some symptoms or your kiddo might be, it's yeah. good to know. Yeah. And I guess, um, it's not just chips. If you're looking at cookies or even protein bars, or uh, I'm just trying to think there's sauces, everything. I mean, literally it's just nuts. Like if you roasted nuts, a lot of times those are fried in canola oil or, um, so yeah, it's really looking at these labels and knowing your oils and knowing is it something that was added without heating it or is it something that was baked and I just don't even want to go there, but yeah. um, And I don't know, you've probably seen this in stores. I think more people are becoming aware of this and companies, for example, Hellman's or Kraft or some, some one mayonnaise company I saw, it said avocado oil mayonnaise on it. So I flipped it over and there is avocado oil in there, but it's behind the canola oil and the cottonseed oil. Oh, wow. So it's greenwashing. And yeah, yeah, you really have to become a label ninja. It's very frustrating. So Yeah, and that's something we'll eat at the Whole Foods, like hot bar sometimes. And a lot of their foods are cooked in organic expeller pressed canola oil. And... So it's like you have that, oh, it's cold expeller pressed oil, which means it's less likely to be damaged, but then they're cooking in it. So it really doesn't matter. Um, I will do that sometimes, but I try to avoid it. And Whole Foods even adds like paleo approved to certain food items in their hot bar and it'll be the ones that use olive oil. So they won't put the paleo approved on the canola oil. I think... Uh, we were just going to touch on dairy really quickly. Um, I don't, I'm not a dairy hater. I eat dairy, I do but it is something that if you are in this really inflamed state, it might be something to look at avoiding. So you could avoid it or if any of these things, but you could avoid dairy for a couple weeks and then try adding something back in and see if you get a reaction to it. Uh, it's just something that a lot of people develop sensitivities to in adulthood and it could be either the lactose, which is the the sugars or the carbohydrates in dairy or casein, which is the protein in dairy. So it's possible to have like lactose-free products, but you're still sensitive to the dairy. And that's where if you're really sensitive, there's things like ghee, which take butter, but really get all of the proteins and sugars out of it. And it's fully fat. And you're probably, even though that's derived from cow's milk, you're probably not going to be sensitive to it. So I I don't have a ton to say about dairy, but it is something to think about. If you think you are getting symptoms when you're eating it, it's a very common food sensitivity. And it's something that can develop later. I have several friends that were fine in childhood and now they're lactose intolerant. And yeah, 
Um, yeah, I find myself every time I go home to my parents, they are a cheese family and they always have just the, you know, the most budget friendly brand of cheese. And I cannot eat that without feeling bloated and just gassy and uncomfortable. But if I buy grass fed or raw cheese from my local farm, I can eat that yeah. whole block and be fine. The same with milk. Um, I can't drink most milk right from a store. And I'm lucky I live in an area where I could find raw milk and raw products that are trustworthy, but, um, they, uh, that also has a lot more enzymes in it that help you break down the lactose and the casein and everything. So I think that's why I'm, I do okay with that, but no, definitely. Cause the, the pasteurizing can kill, yeah, kill a lot of that. And it, it does cause more issues. So that's, if we have anything in our house, it is raw cheese or raw milk or raw yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise I, I generally try to avoid it. I guess sometimes when I go out to eat, I'll have something with cheese on it, but yeah. Yeah. That's basically where we're at with that too. Okay. So just quick on the diets, paleo, which we've talked about quite a bit, that's going to be a diet that's free of grains and dairy, and then also legumes. Uh, so things like soy, beans, peanuts, would be excluded on paleo, uh, sugar, refined sugar. Like we said, some of the oils that are not considered paleo, the processed refined oils. Um, that's all I can think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's what a paleo diet is. So it's not necessarily, you could be on a high, a high fat paleo diet or, a high carb, low fat paleo diet. Like it's just what foods are allowed. And it kind of got dubbed the caveman diet because it's these, it tends to be these unprocessed whole foods. But then what happened once, once paleo became a thing that people were talking about, it became an industry. So they started making paleo brownies and paleo cookies. And so you could kind of have an all refined food paleo diet if you wanted now, but it's not, um, it's maybe not considered to be the aim of what the paleo diet was yeah. seeking to do. I'd say that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> right. Um, so whole 30, I think I did a whole, I did a whole 30 once, uh, but I don't have this all memorized, but it's, I think it has a lot in common with the paleo diet where it takes out grains and dairy, but then it takes out a lot of other, um, things like additives in food. So like gums, artificial coloring. Um, I, I think it takes out several types of sugar, not just the white sugar. Um, but it's, it's another like restrictive diet where you can not eat foods on this list and you can eat foods on this list. So similar to paleo. Um, and that's something that both paleo and whole 30 are considered to be anti-inflammatory diets. So it's taking out these foods that are the most common allergens. And even if you're not allergic to the food, like you don't have a peanut allergy where you break out when you eat it, it could still be causing some low level inflammation constantly in your body. So it's taking out these foods that commonly cause issues and then a lot of people see great healing in their gut, healing with chronic conditions by removing these foods. And so that's something where I would personally 
want to follow the set of rules for some time and then get away from the rules as fast as possible. So get back to let's put back in the foods that do work for me and keep out the ones that really don't. So that's kind of how I I became gluten-free is I was paleo for a while and then I was off paleo and on paleo and off paleo, like, like a diet, like how most people think of diets. And then I got really serious about, okay, I know I feel worse when I go out my di- off my diet. Can I isolate that at all? And I, I was fully able to isolate it. Now, if there's gluten in anything, I can tell pretty quickly and it's just not great. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. So I I think that's something that's helpful about those diets. If you're using it as an education tool, like how do I feel at the end of these 30 days for the whole 30, if you're just doing it as a challenge and then going back to exactly how you ate before, it's maybe not that helpful of a tool and maybe it's too restrictive. Uh, you might want to start by just eliminating a couple things and seeing how you feel. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's definitely, I know as someone who came from a restriction background, again, it's a rabbit hole sometimes. Um, so being very mindful of that as well, using it, like you said, as information and then adding everything that you can tolerate back in and not just saying, okay, well, this is quote bad, that's bad. And you know, it can be yeah, can be tough. <laughs> Because something that's bad for you might be fine for me. And like you said, bad, bad with air quotes. Um, I I think I've heard someone else say unaffected or it's... I like that. (laughs) Not unaffected. It's (laughs) It's been a long day. (laughs) Uh, It it has. Um, So yeah, like it just doesn't work that well for me. And I want to be at my best as, you know, at my job with my family. So let's not put crap in my body that makes me feel worse. So, yeah. Yeah. and then the keto diet, really what it means is your body is in a state of ketosis. Um, so people, a lot of times throw around like, Oh, if you're over this many grams of carbs in a day, you're not keto. But what it really means is your body is producing ketones and using those for energy. So this is something I've, I've done multiple times and I actually, I think with my history of blood sugar issues has done really well for me. And I haven't done it much since, you know, getting pregnant the first time and breastfeeding and now getting pregnant again. Like (laughs) it's just not really necessarily the time to be restrictive, but I, I think it can be helpful if you're dealing with blood sugar issues So what'll happen with a keto diet is you usually go under a certain number of carbs. You will feel like absolute crap after about five days because you've completely run out of the glucose in your body and your body, if you're eating a standard American diet, your body is probably running on glucose all the time. And if you take away that glucose, now you have no energy. And then it takes your body a couple more days to start producing these ketones without the presence of carbohydrate because your body's not going to just let itself run out of energy. It's going to say, oh, we need to learn how to live off of these fats. So take these fats, create energy and fuel the brain, fuel everything. So once you're producing these ketones, 
then your energy picks back up and you could do it longer term. So, and you can measure ketones in your blood. Uh, I think you can also do it in your urine, but it's not necessarily accurate to do it that way. So if you have a blood sugar meter, you could probably get ketones drips as well to see if you're making ketones, but probably more than more detail than people need. But <laughs> like I geeked out on it a little bit, like I was excited to see my ketone levels. Yeah. But, um, and so that's, that's something like, again, trying to be brief, but if you're talking about metabolic flexibility, your body is actually go, able to go in and out of ketosis. And that's where you could burn carbohydrate for energy and then burn the fat. So if you're, if you're only able to build, burn carbohydrates for energy right now and your body isn't able to use the fat because of this whole insulin sensitivity, then the fat just gets stored. And, but you want to get back to this place of, okay, in the morning or whatever, not in the morning, but I have a baked potato with a bunch of butter on it. That potato is going to burn off maybe in an hour and a half, all the carbohydrate from that potato. Then do you get hungry again or does your body start burning the butter? So that's how you kind of know if you have that metabolic flexibility. So you want to get to that place where your body can use the carbohydrate when it has it and then the fat when it doesn't. And then you actually are able to use your own body fat for energy if you're, if you're in this state where you can burn fat. But I'll just say for generally for most of the American population, they're not burning fat for energy. It's just, it's just the glucose. Yeah. So. Yeah. so that was just a brief introduction in case we mentioned some of those things and people don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so right, well, I think we about summed all that up. <laughs> I think so. All right. Well, always, if you guys have any questions, you can email us at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and always reach out on social media. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Have a good week. You too. Bye. Email us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at nourishedandnurturing. You can find more from me, Marissa, at confidentlybalanced.com. And you can find more from me, Michelle, on Instagram at Michelle Taggy. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you liked what you heard and share it with a friend. We look forward to talking to you next week.